You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Are you tired? Are you longing for things to change? Are you tired of this COVID life? As I've talked to uh, leaders from Comunidad and leaders from Grace, one of the things that just stands out is we're tired. We want to see people. We want things to change. We were driving through Montana last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, on our way to Yellowstone, and I stopped at one of the gas stations. And interestingly enough, I walk in and a monitor is showing the news. I look up and you would expect it to be Montana news in Montana. But what was on the screen was Portland news. It was about the violence in in our city, in this city near Gresham. Wouldn't it be awesome if you woke up and uh, all our authorities and law enforcers served the people? If they were just and what happened to George Floyd no longer happened? Wouldn't it be amazing if the Portland police chief didn't have to lament the destruction and criminal activity happening downtown where people break in, light cars on fire, and destroy buildings? Wouldn't it be awesome if you could wake up and not hear about the 150 rounds being fired in a populated Portland neighborhood? Regardless of the Portland protests, the COVID life just by itself has made life around the world into a dark place. Trying to maintain relationships is difficult. So yes, earth is groaning and we're longing for God's kingdom to come. That's what we're going to talk about today. As we continue through our series in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, 12 through 25, Today, we're going to dive into a story in the life of Jesus where Jesus goes to a very dark place. But before we get there, um, keep in mind that a couple of weeks ago, Jay preached on Jesus' baptism, where John the Baptist was preaching this message of repentance. He preached, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. John was asked, people came to him and they asked him who he was, what his role was. And his answer came from, uh, he quoted a prophecy from Isaiah. I am a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Think about that. In the wilderness, John could have gone and preached in Jerusalem, but he goes in the wilderness and it's kind of this this, uh, symbol or metaphor of brokenness. In this wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. And he was calling people out to come and repent and be ready because God's kingdom, the king, was coming. Later in John's story, he said, the one who is coming after me, he is the one, referring to this promised Messiah. And he said, I am unworthy to untie his sandals. John 1.29 says that one day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus came forward to get baptized, 
He wasn't getting baptized because of sins he'd committed, and Jay reminded us of this. He was getting baptized because his father, God the Father, wanted to anoint the king, wanted to affirm his son. And when he went into the water, he came up, God the Father spoke. His voice was heard, and the voice was, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus came, he was baptized, then he was later taken to be tested. We go back to John, and John, after seeing that, he said this about Jesus, I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. John's message was very clear. The king is coming. He's bringing the promised kingdom. Get ready. Repent. The king is coming. Make a choice now to be ready for when he arrives. Evaluate your life. Choose to repent. And if you make that decision to choose to repent and you want to commit to that decision, come out into this river, into the Jordan River. Come out here and in front of everybody, make a statement. Be baptized to, to let everybody know you are choosing to live differently. You're choosing to live your life away from sin to produce fruits of repentance. Interesting, if you go to the book of John and you read about John, he had disciples. He had followers. And one day, two of them were uh, spending time with John and suddenly John sees Jesus. And again, for the second time in the book, John says, look, the Lamb of God. And one of his disciples' names was Andrew. He sees Jesus and he hears John, look, the Lamb of God. And when you think of, you know, if you're announcing a king, you wouldn't think of a lamb as majestic or kingly. But John points Jesus out as the lamb and he's talking about him as the promised one. So Andrew is curious and he goes and he spends the day with Jesus. He gets so excited about spending time with Jesus that he, he runs to find his brother, and his brother's name is Simon. And he says, Simon, we've found the promised one. Come and see. I, I'm guessing Peter was probably a bit reluctant, but he comes along and he finally meets Jesus. They spend some time together, and Jesus, as he's interacting with Simon, he nicknames Simon. He says, Simon, from now on, you're going to be called Petros or Peter, the rock. And, and it wasn't because uh, Peter or Simon looked like Dwayne Johnson. He wasn't like some chiseled man. Simon was a fisherman. He was a man who cursed like a sailor. He was hot-headed. He thought out loud and filtered it later or maybe didn't filter it at all. He was the kind of guy who, who would be willing to pull a knife and stab you in the dark. Peter was from a dark place. He grew up, he lived in Galilee. Jesus chooses to call this man Simon, a very broken man. He chooses to call him a rock. We go to Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 22. It says this, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Later in verses 18 through 22, Jesus calls his first disciples. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I think about this passage, I think about Jesus, who you are, and what you are doing. Thank you for calling men to be part of your kingdom. Thank you for calling us to be part of your kingdom. Father, as we think about these words, think about this story, think about what happened, I ask that you'd help us to understand what this has to do with our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we take a closer look at this passage, keep in mind that John, when he was preaching his message, uh, near the Jordan River, it was near Judea, where Jerusalem is. And Jerusalem was the center of uh, religious, political, and culture tone setting for Israel. It was, if a king was to come, it would make sense that he would be in Jerusalem because that's the capital, that's the center of, of the nation. And so Jesus comes to the Judea area, he's baptized by John and begins to teach. But what happens? John, the king's forerunner, is imprisoned. So in this passage, in verse 12, it says, when, he, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zeb Zebulun and Naphtali. John, the witness of Jesus, the one who came proclaiming the king is coming, the kingdom is coming, get ready. He's in prison. And so Jesus sees this. He goes up to Nazareth, his hometown. And if you follow Jesus to Nazareth, um, you find out that even in Nazareth, he goes into the synagogue, he begins to preach, he's kicked out. And the people of Nazareth, they try to kill him. So he goes to this place, Capernaum in Galilee. And uh, Matthew quotes a passage from Isaiah 9 as he mentions Jesus traveling up there to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the way of the sea. The Sea of Galilee is up there. It's a place that is populated by Gentiles and Jews. Um, this chapter that Matthew is quoting from, Isaiah 9, 
It's a, ta- it's a chapter that we usually refer to during Christmas because it's a chapter that speaks about the promised one. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. When Matthew chooses this passage, he's very intentional. He's presenting Jesus as the Messiah, the King, and telling the Israelites that this king, that this king's work would have its dawn in Galilee. That's where it would dawn. So what kind of place is Capernaum of Galilee? It's, we mentioned already, it's, it's away from the direct religious influence of Jerusalem. It's far, it's far from Jerusalem. So the influence doesn't reach that, doesn't reach that far, at least not that well. It's mixed with Gentiles. It's oppressed by Romans. In fact, the Gospel of Luke tells us that when Jesus went to Capernaum and he went to teach in the, in the synagogue, a man who was demon-possessed was in the synagogue. Can you imagine what kind of a dark place this must be? Matthew calls it a place where the people are living in darkness, the land of the shadow of death. Most of you probably don't know this about me. When I was born, I was born with a birth defect. My, my left eye is smaller than my right eye. And uh, if I were to take my keys out, and I would, if I asked you to look at it, okay, you could focus on it at the same time, could you see my hand over here? while you're focused on the keys. That's how much vision I have in my left eye. So when I was a kid, one of, an eye doctor in Paraguay diagnosed uh, a treatment for me to see if I could improve my eyesight in the left eye. And the treatment was to put a patch over my right eye. <laughs> Those were some miserable few days. I felt like I was in darkness. Even though I could see a little bit, I stumbled over everything, I couldn't, recognize a set of keys. Um, If someone tossed something at me, more than likely it would hit me in the face. To this day, if I walk around the corner on my left side, Dina can tell you and other people, oftentimes I, I run into people if I'm running into the left side. So I have to be careful. But it's hard to be blind. And I, and, and I don't even have the actual experience of being completely blind. But if you think about this people, they live in a land of darkness. The people of Galilee were living a broken life. I can only imagine what the land of the shadow of death meant. To live your life in brokenness and not be able to find your way out. To be lost in your decision making, in the choices that you make and the consequences and you live in them over and over and over again. 
These were the people in Galilee. But the thing I love about this passage is that when Jesus comes to town, in verse 16, it says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. It's interesting that they see Jesus. They see him and the light that he gives. The Messiah, whose name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His presence is light. It shines and that light helps people to be able to live life without stumbling in their brokenness. His presence is amazing. And what he spreads brings healing. So I have some questions for you. How do you see the world around you? And how do you see yourself? It can be easy to look around at the world out there and recognize the brokenness out there. But what about the brokenness inside us, inside me? The way we live that keeps bringing guilt and shame, destroys relationships. The pursuit of satisfaction in living for ourselves and only to find emptiness. The choices, habits, actions, feelings of inadequacy, bitterness, perhaps feeling a little bit like Peter, we'll get to him in a minute, but having a hard time forgiving yourself, forgiving others, constant worry. Does it sound like you live in a dark kingdom of the shadow of death? Or do you live, or do you know the kingdom of the mighty God and the Prince of Peace? The people in Capernaum saw Jesus, the great light. And the question I have for you is, how do you see Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is he, you know, is he just a teacher, maybe a good man, a religious leader? Because that's not, he was some of those things, but that's not all who he was. Jesus didn't claim just to be those things. He claims to be a king and not just a king. He claims to be the king of kings. His kingdom is real and it's at work against the current of this kingdom of darkness. When you look at your life, do you see your need for Jesus? Because in Capernaum, this light was shining. And there were people here who were going to see this Jesus and they're going to see their need for him. Listen to the message that Jesus preached. It was the same message that John preached. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it's here. And uh, verse 17, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom has come. It's, it's present tense. It's arrived. It's here. So, so what are you going to do about it? Jay uh, told us a couple of weeks ago that repentance is to change your values, your loyalty, and your behavior. It's you confess your sins, and, and when you repent, you walk in real life change. I heard a story of 
of a plane, kind of an example of what this means. A plane is headed one direction. It's headed into a storm. And as it goes into the storm, the pilot realizes this is not a good idea. So he turns the plane 180 degrees and flies the opposite direction. That is what repentance is. It's not just you stop doing the bad things. It's you decide to do the opposite. You replace it with fruits of repentance. That's what Jesus is preaching. The kingdom is here, so repent. Be ready. And um, in the next few verses, we see what responding to this king looks like. Remember Andrew? John's disciple, the one who spent a day with Jesus and went told his brother about, about Jesus? Well, after John was put in prison, it looks like Andrew and Peter went back to Capernaum because that's where they're from. They're from Galilee. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, verse 18, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. According to Luke's account of this story, he tells us more. He says, they had fished all night and they hadn't caught anything. Jesus comes up and he asks them if he can use their boat as a platform because they're washing their nets. And so he uses it as a platform to preach. Can you imagine what his message was? It was probably repent for the kingdom of God is right here. And he starts telling them about this kingdom. And here's Peter washing his net. And at the end of Jesus' preaching, he says, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. They just fished all night. That was the best, the prime time of fishing already passed. But to please Jesus, reluctantly, Peter goes out and they fish. And Jesus says, hey, cast your net on the other side of the boat. <laughs> How absurd is that? On the other side of the boat? Okay, fine. He does it and he catches so many fish. It blows his mind. He is, in this experience, Peter stands before Jesus and he is in awe of who Jesus is. And what he says, what he says to Jesus, when Simon Peter saw this in Luke 5, 8, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Obviously, he was listening to the message. Jesus was talking about repentance. He's talking about the king. And you can imagine Peter's mind, wondering, what, kind, what do you mean king? Where's your army? Where's, where, where are your people? And Jesus goes out and shows him, the fish are mine. And Peter is just in awe of this Jesus. And he, he, he has this response. He's standing before the great light. And Peter looks at himself and finds himself unworthy. That is what we are. We are unworthy that Jesus would choose to come, leave heaven, come and live among men, among us. We find Peter's response is a, a repentant heart. It's a heart that evaluates himself and says, I am a sinner. And I'm standing before holy, almighty God. I am unworthy to be in your presence. 
You are holy, I am not. But Jesus, he came for this purpose. That's why he went to Capernaum. He went to a place where people would recognize that they're broken, that would recognize their need, would recognize that they're living in darkness and come and bring light to them. And Jesus, in this passage, Matthew, Matthew tells us, he does something pretty amazing for this man, Simon, and for Peter. He says, come, follow me, and I will send you to fish for people. Peter's life is about fishing. So Andrew's is about fishing. And Jesus says, I want to give you a greater purpose, a specific purpose. You will cast out your net, and you're not just going to catch fish. You're going to catch something far more valuable for this kingdom. You're going to catch people, and you're going to bring them to be part of my kingdom, just like you're part of my kingdom. And, and look at their response in verse 20. You know, he wasn't just some teacher. It says, at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from here, he saw two other brothers, James, uh, James and his brother John. And John's the one who writes the book of John. Um, and he calls them and they're fishing. They have, they have their nets as well. And they have their dad in the boat. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. This Jesus is calling is calling you today. Many of us have heard the message of the king. We've heard that call and we've chosen to follow Jesus or to make Jesus our king and we've chosen to be part of his kingdom and he's, he's received us. But the call is more than just to come and be part of the kingdom, to be in it. The call is about following Jesus, to allow him to give us purpose for our lives to give us purpose at home, at work, uh, in our neighborhood, in life. The call is to follow him and, and allow him to define our purpose. So I want to ask you, have you made a decision to follow Jesus with your life? These guys, when you think about that decision, it wasn't just a split moment. Andrew had met him I don't know how, how, how long before. Simon had met him before. They've been processing this. And suddenly Jesus comes calling. And they left everything to follow Jesus. Choosing to follow Jesus isn't cheap. It's not an easy decision. Some people make it quickly. And man, that's amazing. But I've shared Jesus with people. I remember a girl from Germany whose parents were atheists. And... She started hearing about Jesus and she started asking, is this really true? And over a few months, she came back and she said, you know, if I choose to follow Jesus, my parents, my family, my friends are going to reject me. And what could I say? But if this is real, if Jesus is real and his kingdom is real and eternity is real, is it worth it? One day this girl walked into the class and she said, I've chosen to make Jesus my savior. He's my king. 
Have you made a decision to follow Jesus with your life? And, and second, let me ask you, are you walking with Jesus in your life? There was a time in my life, and there are times when I still struggle, but there was a time in my life I was in college, in, in a Bible college. And I remember uh, reading the Bible. I would take my Bible and I, I read it, but I, but I read it as a textbook. You know, something to get information from. I wasn't really pursuing a relationship with Christ. I wasn't trying to listen to his voice or even talk to him for that matter. And I remember because of all of this, I started making choices that didn't line up with a follower of Christ. And I soon began to experience guilt. I got into a relationship that wasn't healthy. I, experienced, I started experiencing guilt and brokenness. And one day I was off student teaching in another city and a couple at a church gave me a Bible with wide margins. It was an NIV Bible with wide mar margins. And I remember when I took this Bible, there was a note in it and the note said, this book will, will keep you from sin or sin will keep you away from this book. And as I read it and I thought about the guilt I was living in, I remember one day sitting down with that Bible and, and praying and saying, God, if you're real, if you're there, I need to know who you are. I need to hear your voice. Speak to me. So I started reading through the Old Testament. And when I got to Matthew, what happened to Peter happened to me. I had a moment where suddenly I realized how great and awesome and powerful God is and how sinful and broken I am and how undeserving of his call I am. And yet God called me. And I turned my life around. I decided I want to follow you with my life. I started making decisions that changed my life. And my life is still changing today. But this is the Jesus. I want to challenge you. I invite you to pick up your Bible. Read it. Start in this book, Matthew. It's a great book. Read it, but read it not just to get information. Read it to get to know God, to get to know Jesus, to know what his desire is for you, to meet him in relationship. He desires a relationship with you. If, you're, if you already have a relationship with Christ, let me ask you, are you sharing him with others? When was the last time you shared your relationship with Jesus with someone else? I think about Andrew in this, in this story. He's such a great example of someone who gets excited about something real. And he goes and says, I got to tell my brother, the, one, the guy he loves the most. And I can't imagine hearing about Simon the response he probably received. He probably thought, man, you're going after that John Wild man from the desert. Why do you listen to that kook, that loon? Why do you listen to him? And now you want me to go meet this Jesus? And Andrew's persistent. He calls him. You got to meet him. He's the promised one. And he meets him. And the guy gives him a nickname that doesn't even line up with who he is. But Simon Peter comes to know Jesus. My question for us, my desire, our desire, I think Jesus' desire for us is to share Jesus with those around us who we love. Do you have a brother, a sister, a child, a dad, an uncle, someone, a relative, a neighbor, 
to share Christ with. And, and you think about the COVID life that we live in and the darkness we're experiencing. Man, these are prime opportunities to talk about Jesus. COVID is a disease people are afraid of. We're afraid of this, this temporary disease that may not even do anything. It could. But what about sin? What about the disease of sin? That if, if we're not saved from it, we will be lost forever. But you can start talking about COVID. There's so many ways, opportunities. I want to encourage you to talk to someone about Christ. Let's be like Andrew. And another question. Do we take time to remember who Jesus is? At the end of this passage, Jesus went throughout Galilee in verse 23, teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. What Jesus does in this last section is a picture of his kingdom. It's a picture of, as he interacts with people, people find healing. Physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. They find healing. And I'm not saying if you come to Christ today and you have cancer that he's going to take that away. But he is a light in the darkness. He's someone who can give you light and life no matter what your situation is. Jesus, if we consider who he is, he is our teacher. He is our healer. He frees people from pain. He frees, he gives freedom to those who are spiritually oppressed. He is the king. Jesus is a king who is mighty to save. When we look at the world we live in, there are some beautiful things here. We went to Yellowstone and Grand Tetons last week and just some amazing sights. There's this place called Artist Point in Yellowstone where uh, this canyon is just beaming with all kinds of cool colors. And at the end, there's this waterfall. It's just amazing. It's spectacular. I saw it 19 years ago with my wife, who we went on a honeymoon with, and a couple weeks ago we saw it, or last week we saw it with our six kids and my brother and his wife. It was just cool. There's some beautiful things in this world. But it's also a place where so many people around us are lost, living in darkness. They need to hear that Jesus is mighty to save, that he is the light in the darkness, and they need to see it in our lives. This next song invites us to consider, will we choose to follow Jesus and allow the light of Jesus to shine through us so that they may be saved and may be part of this kingdom? This Jesus that we serve, he is the way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He's light in the darkness. As we finish up, I'd like to read a couple of passages one from Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
In this passage, Jesus is the rescuer. He's the redeemer. He's the forgiver. And we are the redeemed. We are the forgiven. And the next passage I'd like to read is is one out of Revelation. It's a scene from heaven where these uh, leaders sing out a new song. In Revelation 5, 9 and 10, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign. This passage, this version says, they will reign. Another translation says, and they reign on the earth. It's something present, but it's also something that will come. Verse 13 says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So as you go out this week, may Jesus shine through your life into the lives of others around you. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.